Thank you, choir. If you will, be turning to the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be reading starting with the 18th verse. Today we begin a series of messages on the cross and on Calvary, leading us up to Palm Sunday on the 24th of March and then Resurrection Day on that fifth Sunday, the 31st of March. I'll ask you to stand, if you will, as we honor God's word in reading, starting with verse 18 in 1 Corinthians 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Go to verse 22. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Father, we ask that you would enlighten us now with the the power of your spirit as we look to the truth of your word. Help us to see the stumbling block, the false wisdom portrayed in these verses. Help us to guard against it through the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit at work in our lives. We ask it in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you and be seated. People have always wanted a God who would approve of their lifestyle, not requiring any change from them. Jesus encountered that attitude in his day. That rich young ruler turned away from Jesus because he did not want to change. More than that, Jesus looked at the Pharisees, the Sadducees of his day. He called them hypocrites and said they were like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they dressed up well. And they appeared to be prayerful and pious and contrite, but on the inside, they were rotting and decaying. There are people like that today as well. There are far too many people who want a God who doesn't require any change from us, who places his stamp of approval on what we've already decided that we want and how we want to live. But sooner or later, we come to an old rugged cross. And we hear God say, I love you, but I abhor your sin. And it is so horrible that it requires a sacrificial death to free you from the punishment you deserve. Paul said the Jews stumble over the cross and the Greeks think it is foolishness, but others see in it the power and the wisdom of God. There's still those kinds of people today. People who see the cross and stumble over the significance of it and others who regard it as mere foolishness. And so we begin today with number one in your outlines. What was the cross for the Jews? The Jews stumbled over the cross because Jesus was not the kind of Messiah they wanted. And that's strange. 
because the Jews had been carefully selected by God. He had watched over them and protected them down through the generations and prepared them to be the nation through whom the world's Messiah would come. But when he came, they crucified him. John said in the introduction to his gospel, John chapter 1 verse 11, that Jesus came to his own and his, those who were his own did not receive him. Why did they not receive him? Paul said in verse 22 of our passage today that the Jews demand signs. Some of your other translations will clarify that a little more and even say they demand miraculous signs. They were expecting a Messiah who would perform miracles on their behalf. And the amazing thing is that's what Jesus was doing. He was performing miracles. He was giving sight to the blind, healing the legs of the lame, feeding thousands of people with just morsels of food, cleansing the lepers. He was even raising the dead. He was ministering to them in miraculous ways, reaching out to them and meeting their needs. But what does God's words say? They not only wanted more, they demanded more. They wanted miracles they could control. Miracles that would make them look good. They wanted a Messiah who would miraculously overthrow the Romans and reestablish the throne of their ancestor, David. They wanted an Old Testament view of what a kingdom was. One in which they could play a prominent role. They wanted a Messiah they could control. They wanted an agenda they could control. They wanted a kingdom that fit into their planning, their understanding without having to change anything and which fit into their legalistic mindset. The bottom line was they wanted a God whom they could control. What they were not ready for was what I call a kingdom of the heart. A kingdom that brought about miraculous changes, but from within, because that's where Jesus was. If Jesus had marshaled an army, if he had led Israel into battle and defeated the Romans, if he had shown them that he could be successful and victorious and high standing the way they wanted him to be, they would have followed him greatly. But a cross got in the way of that. Because you see, being nailed to a cross is not a sign of power. Writhing in pain on a cross is not a show of strength. Struggling to breathe, gasping for breath from a cross doesn't look like success. Dying on a cross doesn't look like victory. Those things look like weakness. They look like failure. They look like defeat. And so they kept stumbling over that cross. It kept getting in the way. Not only did they have a false concept of the Messiah, they had a false concept of salvation. They thought the way to salvation was through their own goodness and righteousness. And so they kept themselves busy keeping all of those laws, those 600 plus of them, 
The fact of the matter was they really weren't even that concerned about keeping God's laws. Jesus himself said they just go to the synagogues at the appointed times just to be seen. Jesus said they say their prayers so loudly so that others hear them and are impressed. He said they give their offerings in such a way that everyone notices them. They appear to be religious and upstanding and prayerful and generous like many people today. But in their minds, they really don't need a Savior. And they certainly don't need someone to die on a cross for them. They thought the way to salvation was through their own righteousness. And they could earn it by their good works and through the merits of their own goodness. And because of all of this, they kept stumbling over that cross. What about the Greeks? Number two, what was the cross for the Greeks? Verse 22 says they looked for wisdom. They were the thinkers, the brilliant minds of their day, the intelligentsia. They were the influencers of their day. The Greeks had produced men like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. They were not only the leading thinkers of their day, but minds that are still considered today to be worthy of followed and being thought-provoking and worth studying. Socrates said the secret to a successful society was education. If we can just give everyone a good education, the world would be a better world. Doesn't that sound familiar? We've continued to be told that ever since. Education will solve our problems. All we need is more education and mankind will become better. But have we? Now, I'm not opposed to education. I was a professional educator at the secondary and the college level. But we can learn all there is to learn and we can even take it to the next level. We can learn how to better think. But there will still be a fatal flaw, and that sin. We'll come back to that in just a moment. The 17th chapter of Acts describes the scene where Paul went to Athens. Those Athenian philosophers met on Mars Hill, the Areopagus, and they sat there all day thinking their profound thoughts and contemplating and proposing their ideas. They didn't do very much. They just thought about it. Acts 17.21 says this, They spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Doesn't that sound like some people today? But then one day, the Apostle Paul went to Mars Hill and he started telling them about that wonderful, loving, supreme God that was unknown to them. How that great an omnipotent and sovereign God came to earth and walked among men and told people and showed people how to please him with their lives. And then how that same mighty and sovereign God gave his son as a sacrifice for mankind. And even though he rose again, to them it was just foolishness. And there are people who continued that same line of thinking today. You can't really believe the stories you read in the Bible. 
They're just myths. They're just fairy tales. They're fine for children, but they're not for real thinkers. Reason tells you babies are not born to virgin girls. Reason tells you a true and powerful God doesn't just become a mortal man. Almighty God would not allow mortal men to nail him to a cross and kill him. When a man dies and is buried, he can't come back to life again. None of that makes sense. And so the Greeks looked at the cross as foolishness. We looked at salvation as seen by the Jews, that strict adherence to the law. Let's look at the Greek view of salvation as well. The Greeks believed that all souls were immortal. And therefore, when you died, you just automatically went to the heavens. And then, if your previous life back on earth was good enough, you got to stay with the gods. But if it wasn't, you were reincarnated back into another body. You came back to earth, and you had another chance to get it right. And if necessary, another death and then another life as long as it took. And that way, everyone was saved. Nobody was lost. Some people just took longer than others. You didn't need a Savior because everyone was going to be saved anyway. It was just a matter of time. And so when they heard about a cross, it was foolishness. Why would anyone have to go to a cross and die? We're all going to be saved anyway. And then the matter of each one of us taking up our own cross and denying self the way Jesus spoke of it, again, it was just more foolishness. <clears throat> Founder of CNN, media mogul, philanthropist Ted Turner has done much good in the world today through his support of the United Nations, the Goodwill Games, as well as many other good causes. He is also an individual who has been very openly critical of Christianity. He was addressing a group of journalists once, and he started making fun of Christians. He mocked the Bible. He began making silly comments about heaven. He said that he and most of the journalists in that room with him were all going to go to hell anyway, and they all laughed. He said it would probably be better because after all, heaven was just all loving and peaceful, and who wanted that? And he used the word boring. And he went on to say that he did not need anyone to die on a cross for him. Ted Turner may be respected in some circles. He does support some good causes, but his goodness and his show will not take care of him at the end of his life. I cannot claim to know his heart, but I will say that the kind of attitude he displays, he can laugh all the way into eternity, and he will regret it. To the Jews. The cross was a stumbling block because it didn't represent what they knew in their minds was the best thing. And to the Greeks, the idea of eternal life for the world through the sacrificial death of a man, even though he was God, was nothing more than foolishness. 
And so what was the cross for the Apostle Paul? Number three in your outlines. Interestingly, the man who wrote our scripture passage at the beginning of our service today tried both ways. He tried being a devout Jew. He upheld the law of Moses. He was convinced that was what he needed to do. Galatians 1.14, Paul says he was advanced in Judaism beyond many his own age and was extremely zealous of the ways of the patriarch fathers. And yet, when he tried to obey all the rules and the regulations, when he tried to save himself through his own righteousness, he ended up empty on the inside. And so he tried the way of the Greeks. He tried learning and education and scholarship. He sat at the feet of the finest teachers in the world. He received one of the best quality educations available. And when he learned all his mind could handle, his soul was not satisfied. Even with all of his education, there was a God-shaped void in his life that only Jesus could fill. And so, in one of those anxious moments, on his way to Damascus for the purpose of persecuting Christian believers there, he saw a light. More than that, he saw the light of the world. And it changed his life. There's a reference in your outlines today of Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 25. Those would be excellent verses to spend some study time with. Later in his life, Paul said regarding his education, he said, I now understand what's right and wrong. Even with all of our education today, the world has yet to figure that one out. We have it so mixed up that what used to be right is now wrong and what used to be wrong is now right. But Paul said, I know what's right and wrong. But then in his honesty, he goes on to clarify it. He says this, I really want to do what is right. And I don't want to do what is wrong. But when I get ready to do what is right, there is a power that overwhelms me. And I end up doing what is wrong. And when I try to avoid what is wrong, I end up doing the very thing I'm trying to avoid. <laughs> the answer is because of sin. Paul makes it clear, it's not education, it's not scholarship. He says, I know the difference. He says, it's all about will. And then in his honesty, verse 24, he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who is going to save me from all of this? Then he answers his own question. Thanks be to God for Christ Jesus. Your homework today is very simple. It's one I've given you before, and I probably will again. Spend some time this week in prayer, and don't ask God for anything. Intercessory prayer is good. We need to be praying for ourselves and for others. It's good, and it's rightful, and it's important, but there must be more. Make sure you are spending regular time in prayer just praying.
praising God for who he is and thanking him for Jesus. It's Jesus who lifts the burden of sin and replaces it with freedom. It is Jesus who takes away our anxiety and gives us peace. It is Jesus who takes away despair and gives us hope. It is Jesus who takes away sadness and gives us joy. And it's because of a cross. Not knowledge, a cross. Not self-righteousness, goodness, a cross. God accomplished what was a stumbling block and what was foolishness when he went to a cross in the person of Jesus, a real man, Jesus of Nazareth. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He knew that we would try to earn it for ourselves through our works and we would fail. He knew that we would try to do it ourselves through our own logic, our own understanding, and we would fail. And so he did it for us through his grace. And he did it for the whole world, not just the Jews and the Greeks. He is not willing that any should perish. And so now, we come to number four in your outlines. What is the cross for us? We talked about the Jews, the Greeks, the Apostle Paul. There's a link, though. Because, you see, we have the same problem as did the Jews, as did the Greeks, as did the Apostle Paul, and that is sin. When my dear wife was a little girl, she and her sister Johanna were going to put on a show for their parents. Johanna was nine years old. She was going to play the piano, play a couple of solos, and then accompany Elisa, who was five, and was going to sing. And so they put their show together. They selected their songs. They practiced. They rehearsed. And then they decided that they needed to promote their show and so they made up some invitations to send out. And they drew up these invitations and decorated them with, with artwork, with their crayons. And this was an invitation inviting their parents to a singing show. But there was one problem. There was a misspelled word. And instead of inviting them to a singing show, the invitation said, you are invited to a sinning show. You know what? The truth is we are still sinning the same sins as mankind of old. Education has just made us better at it. Instead of robbing gas stations and general stores and local banks, even though that kind of thing still goes on, we have progressed to cheating on college entrance exams and buying and selling college acceptance for our children and embezzling bank accounts and stealing technology and stealing identities and selling national security and stealing people's peaceful way of life through military aggression. It's a sinning show. And we're still committing 
the same sins, just at higher and more modern levels. We are still thinking the same false thoughts, that there is security in self-righteousness. There's security in our own self-learning and advancements, and we keep stumbling over that old, rugged cross. People today are laughing at the wisdom of God. Too many preachers today, instead of preaching the truth about sin and absolutes and non-negotiables and about a death on a cross, are preaching about just accepting one another and having self-esteem and finding prosperity. And those things may have their importance, but they must be grounded on a relationship with Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Look at verse 23 in our text. There are church growth philosophies today that say, don't tell people about the cross. It's too upsetting. Just tell them to love everyone. A crucified Jew has no place in our world today. Entertain people. Give them an emotional experience. Make them feel better about themselves. Tell your worship leaders to wear their ratty jeans and baseball claps when they come to worship a holy God. Tell them to jump up and down and wave their arms when they're singing about Jesus because that'll make people feel good about themselves. How sad. Niles Barop, Buddy Mullins, Luke Garrett, and Mike Harland together gave us these words. It's not conservative or liberal, however they're defined. It's not about interpretation or a judgment of the mind. It's the opposite of politics and power and prestige. It's about a simple message and whether we believe. It's still the cross. It's still the blood of Calvary that cleanses sin and sets the captive free. It's still the name of Jesus that has the power to save the lost. It's still the cross. We can water down theology and preach the word to suit our needs. We can justify sweet, subtle lies that are wrapped in noble deeds. We can alter our convictions to adapt to social whims, but we cannot change the gospel or the truth contained within. Some may say it's man's religion or ancient history, but the cross of Jesus still remains the price for sin that sets us free. It's still the cross. It's still the blood of Calvary that cleanses sin and sets the captive free. It's still the name of Jesus that has the power to save the lost. It's still the cross. Make no mistake, the crucified and living Christ who confronted Saul on that road to Damascus is still the living Christ who is confronting lives today with the unchanging message of
Let me tell you about a modern Damascus Road experience. Just 15 years ago, a Muslim woman who was a university professor in Afghanistan was taking an English class, and this English class was being taught by Christians. And one day she stormed out of class after the teacher had been asked by some other students about Jesus. And so they were answering the questions they were asked. And this university professor cursed the teacher as she left the classroom. Later she said this, I cursed the teacher to his face and then I cursed him all the way home. I went home and I laid in bed thinking these people are not teachers. They only want to speak of Jesus and I prayed that Allah would kill them. And suddenly, my bedroom was filled with light and a figure stood at the foot of my bed. I was convinced it was an angel sent to kill me because I had asked Allah to kill those English teachers. That angel took me to a place called Calvary where I got down on my hands and knees and I crawled to the foot of a cross. And when I saw the nails in the hands and the feet of Jesus, I repented. And the love and the warmth and the grace of Jesus filled my life. Today, she is still a university professor, but she is a believer who earnestly tells her students that Jesus is real and that he is her Savior and Lord. Some people will scoff and say that's just foolishness. I don't believe that. I don't believe it could happen today. Really? An angel told Cornelius to send for Peter who would give him the words of life. An angel told Philip where to go to meet an individual who would lead him to become a believer. An angel told Mary she would have a miraculous baby. An angel told Joseph to take Mary as his wife and to raise the child as his own. An angel told shepherds on a hillside about a Savior who had been born. And an angel stood in front of an empty tomb and said, he is not here. He is risen. Is it too hard to believe? God accomplished the impossible when he went to a cross to die. The cross was a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks, but it is the story of a cross that said to the world from God, I can give you a pardon for your sin, and I can redeem you in this life and into eternity. I close with this. It took a place near Galilee it took a hill called Calvary. 
It took him hanging on a tree, my sin to bear, my soul set free. It took his body crucified. It took a spear thrust in his side. It took his thirst. His anguish cried, my sin and shame the day he died. It took an empty grave therein to take away my mortal sin, to free my soul from deep within, my spirit rise, new life begin. It took a hill called Calvary. It took him hanging on a tree. Strong, risen king he was to be to earn the right of bended knee. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words today. There are so many people around us for whom the cross is nothing but a stumbling block and nothing but foolishness. We know better because you have touched our lives with your grace. And so, Father, we must, we must be busy about sharing the message of the cross to those around us. We must not be ashamed. We must be determined to take advantage of every opportunity you give us to tell others about Jesus. Not just that he was a good man and had some good ideas, but that he died on a cross for us. Encourage us, Father, to take that message to a world that so desperately needs to hear it even today. In his name we ask it. Amen. We come to our time of commitment this morning. And this is your opportunity to respond in any way that God might be touching your heart regarding your relationship with him or your relationship with this church. Would you listen and would you respond as God speaks to us now? Stand as we sing.